0: But you'll see that we'll pick up in verse 7 this morning. I felt like last week we, I had to cut it short a little bit. Uh, and so I, I wanted us to begin back in verse 7, walk through verse 10, and then as well look at verses 11 and 12. And so the title of the message this morning is Between Two Worlds, Part 2, Actively Submitting to God. Actively Submitting to God. Well, if you found your place in verse 7, say Amen. Follow as I read. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? This morning, I want to challenge us as we arrive at, at this point in the passage to consider... What James is challenging us, what James is calling us to, and what God's word is is calling us to. And and if you have your insert there, you'll see in the worship guide the the outline, if you'd like to follow along the outline. But really that submission to God is calling us to do a few things. Submission to God is calling us in our lives to to take action, to walk in purity, uh, to come to God in repentance, to humble ourselves. And then in verses 11 and 12, I think we'll see how we apply, practically, how we apply that to our daily lives, how we apply submitting to God into our daily lives through humility before God and toward others. So last week, we saw that worldly wisdom misleads us to pursue hedonism, that is, it misleads us to pursue pleasure, verses 1 through 6, really. And then we also saw that godly wisdom leads us to pursue holiness. So worldly wisdom misleads us to pursue hedonism, our pleasure, and godly wisdom leads us to pursue holiness. So as we approach this portion of the passage this morning, if, if we're going to walk in godly wisdom, we must defend our lives from worldliness. And James is telling us, he says, the best defense against worldliness is godly wisdom. The best defense for you and I to have as a believer, as a Christian, against worldliness is to walk in godly wisdom. And we've walked through that a little bit as we ended chapter 3 and and, and broached chapter 4. But godly wisdom, it really leads us to pursue holiness. Now, James doesn't specifically mention holiness in this passage. He doesn't specifically mention the call to holiness, but what we are speaking about this morning has to do with the, cha- with the challenge of a holy life. It has to do with the way you and I walk and, and interact with others. It has to do with the practical application of, of God's word in our life and how it, how it lifts us up into, uh, t- to walk by the grace of God, how it challenges us and, and, and leads us to live our lives and walk according to the pattern of godliness in life. And so in verse 7, James begins issuing really a series of ten commands. And the first command is an overarching command. And it's the one that really kind of covers the section. He says, submit therefore to God. Submit therefore to God. That's the overarching command of the section. And really to submit then to God, it means that you and I would subject ourselves, that I would subject myself to Him, that I would surrender my life to Christ as Lord. It means that I would be completely and utterly yielded to God in everything, an undivided loyalty to God. Now, we probably would affirm that and say, well, we know that submitting to God means that we would just give every area of our life over to Him. But I, I want to challenge you to think through your hobbies this morning. That submitting to God calls you to, to submit everything to Him. To bring everything under His Lordship. It might be your hobbies, it would be your relationship, your, your finances, our finances. Even our thought life would be brought under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit therefore to God, He says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But in order to help the children kind of understand what it means to submit to God, we print out a children's bulletin. And if the children have it, they can go back through and look at it later. But, but, but one of the things we highlighted this week in the children's bulletin is just what it means to submit to God and, and why we should submit to God and so one of the I want to give a few reasons here why we should submit to God. And the first one is because God is creator. We should submit to God because he's creator. And we see that in Psalm 19, specifically in Psalm 19:1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Just even creation itself points to the glory of God. And so we, we can teach our children. Children, you can learn the reason we are called to submit to God is because He Himself is creator of all things, creator of the universe. But not only because He's creator, also because He is, he is Savior. And as we kind of walk through, as you can walk through that bulletin, even after service, you see in verse 7, the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. This really speaks about God's salvation, even through his word. And so we we should submit to God because he is creator, also because he is savior, but even also because He's sustainer. He, he sustains everything. He holds everything up. God is the one who sustains our very lives. We see this throughout the New Testament. We see it in Colossians chapter 1. But not only do we see it in Colossians, we just even see it here in Psalm 19. It says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in verse 11, in keeping them there is a great reward. What he, he's speaking about keeping God's word, keeping God's law. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Then he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There is a dependency on God here. And so even as we teach our children, why are we to submit to God? Why can James make this claim and this challenge in our life in the life of a believer well we see clearly and we could list several other reasons couldn't we throughout scripture as to why we ought to submit to God he's creator he's savior he's provided salvation even namely in the person of Jesus Christ he has provided salvation and he is the sustainer the one who holds all things together but you know submitting to God means that we would walk in the wisdom of God does it not Submitting to God means that we walk according to His ways, following Him, that we would learn from His Word and we would live our lives according to His Word. So how do we submit to God? I think James tells us how we are to submit to God. Beginning here in verse 7, he tells us how we are to submit to God. And the first thing he tells us is resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, the call to submit to God is not just a call of passivity. It's not one to just have a, have a life of inactivity. But the call to submit to God is, an, is a call to action. It's a call to take a step of faith. It's a call to walk according to God's word. It's a call to live our lives for his glory. And so it, it, it calls us to take action. Submission to God calls us to take action first action, he says, is to resist the devil. And he uses the word resist, which is really the opposite of submit, is it not? When we're called to submit ourselves to God, we put ourselves under his authority, right? We, we, we place ourselves in subjection to him. But when we resist, we wouldn't say that we want to resist God, Right? But yet we want to resist the devil, he says. Submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, or submit therefore to God, and resist the devil. That's the opposite of what we do in relation to God. We resist the devil. It's taking action. And James really seems to be indicating here that Satan has somewhat of a hand in the evil impulses that believers battle against minimally. He seems to be saying that we should understand that Satan works in tandem with the pleasures that wage war with our members. So think back to chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And then we get down here in verse 7. He says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There seems to be an active role that the devil is playing or that Satan and his fallen angels are playing in the midst of the lives of his people. And the reality that we need to see this morning is resisting the devil is spiritual warfare. This is engaging life for the believer. This is to to resist the the, the temptations that would be uh, hurled our way. This is to be what Paul has encouraged us and challenged us in Ephesians chapter 6 with the the armor of faith that the the believer would put on. This is to to be equipped and to be ready for battle. Because he says if we resist the devil, what will he do? Flee. That's right, the devil flees. And so we, we must know our enemy. And contrary to popular belief, your enemy is not the one who spreads rumors about you behind your back. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person living in your home. Your enemy is Satan. It's Satan. Satan is the enemy. Spiritual warfare is going on. And he says resist. Resist. It means to stand against. It means to oppose. To put oneself against and to set oneself against. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the apostle Paul says, says this for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but is against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places you hear that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us every day and the reality is that this battle that is occurring it is being launched by satan and His angels against the people of God, against the church. It's one of the reasons why the church is struggling so much as James is writing to the church. This word resist, it's the same language that's used by Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Peter says, be of sober spirit. Listen, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. But... Resist him. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Hear me out believer, we should be cognizant of the war language that's used in chapter 4 verse 1 and understand this call to resist the devil is understanding this call to engage in spiritual warfare, to engage in battle. The devil and his fallen angels are busy about launching a full-fledged attack on your soul. He wants to defeat you believer, he wants to entice you to sin, he wants to bring you low and drink you down. He wants to destroy your life. Think about Revelation 12, 9. Let me read it for you. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation And the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God night and day. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. And because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Think back to the challenge that James issues in chapter 4 verse 4. To the church, you adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Verse 3 You ask and do not receive because you ask with your own motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, upon this hedonistic living. Understand this, church, that the people of God are called to submit their lives to God. We're not called to be a friend of the world in the sense that our loyalty is divided. In the sense that we pursue after the things of the world and not pursue after the things of God. And the promise of scripture is clear. He will flee. Here's how you resist. Ephesians 6.11, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist the, devil, uh, resist the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You see, submitting to God means being Holy committed there is no room for half-hearted commitment. We are called church, people of God, to be hearers and doers of the Word, not just hearers who delude themselves, but those who do the Word of God, those who live faithfully according to the Word of God. And so the couplet, not only resists the devil and he will flee from you, but verse eight. The first part, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The command here is, draw near to God. The promise is, He will draw near to you. James' point here is that resisting the devil will only happen through drawing near to God. It's not enough to stand in opposition to the devil. We must be quick into the haven of God's rest. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In Psalm 61, 4. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. How many of you know that God is a God of refuge and peace? He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. He is the one who beckons us to come into him. Jesus himself says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The call for the church is to put behind ourselves these scathing remarks that tear down the the bitter jealousy that we saw in chapter 3, the selfish ambition, the double-mindedness that has characterized so many among this congregation or these congregations, the sin of partiality that would shun some while saying to others, you, you come and sit here. James is saying, leave the waywardness of the world and cling, cling to God in Christ, cling to Him and the promise of scripture is draw near to god and he will draw near to you god will not let that promise fall short if you and i will draw near to him submit ourselves to him resist the devil and the devil will flee draw near to god and he will draw near to us I'm reminded in 1 john 4:4 4, 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world satan will flee But not only does submission to God call us to take action, submission to God calls us to walk in purity. Submission to God calls us to walk in purity. Look there in verse 8. The next command he gives us is cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Literally, this word double-minded, it means to be double-souled. To be oscillating between one and the other. In Psalm 24, 3 and 4, the psalmist writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The challenge for you and I, believer, is to cleanse our hands, right? To purify our hearts, it's symbolic. Outward cleansing is symbolic of the inward purity in the life of the believer. We are called to walk in purity following after God. And the double-mindedness that he speaks of has already been spoken of by James throughout this epistle. He's challenging the church at their very core that they are, they are divided in heart. And for you and I, what that speaks to us about is Are we divided in our loyalty and our service to God? Are we Christians on Sunday and perhaps on Wednesday? Maybe on Sunday night, but during the week we are focused on doing our own thing, living by our own agenda, following our own way according to our own will, not walking according to the will of God, not not seeking and pursuing Him, not submitting our lives to Him. You see, the reality that James knows is that clean hands do good works. Pure hearts remain committed to God and do not align themselves in friendship with the world as we see in chapter 4, verse 4. That friendship with the world is hostility toward God. And whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Robert Murray McShayan wrote to Dan Edwards after Dan Edwards said, gone through the ordination as a missionary, he said, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents, God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And I would say that to you and I. The holy life of the believer is a tremendous tool to be used in the hand of God. If you and I just submit our lives to Christ, if we just walk according to His we're patterning our life after His Word, after the Word of God, that we might, we might be a blessing to all that we come in contact with or that we might share a word that would speak in their life, would challenge others. Unfortunately, the ministry that God has called us to, the ministry of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ sometimes, sometimes we will speak life to life to some, but death to death to others. In the message of the gospel? Jesus told the church of Laodicea, did he not, in Revelation 3, 6, that they were lukewarm. And because they were lukewarm, he would spew them out of his mouth. You know, we fool ourselves if we think we can be a people who follow after God and follow after the world. We must be one or the other in Matthew 6, 4, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So the question is, how are we to respond to such commands? Submit to God, taking action, walking in purity. I think submission to God calls us thirdly to repentance. Submission to God calls us to repentance. It's kind of become a dirty word these days. We don't like to admit, confess when we have sin in our life. We don't like to admit and confess that we have actually done something wrong and we need to seek out and say, I'm sorry. We don't like to be the one who has to apologize to say we're sorry. But in verse 9, he uses very strong language. Be miserable and mourn. And weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, this really in verse 9 here, it's a call of brokenness before God. It's a call for the believer to come before God and to be broken in his presence over the sin in our lives and to recognize just how wretched we truly are before Almighty God, Lord of heaven and earth, creator, sustainer, savior. Think about this idea of repentance and the biblical call in our life. And if you ever watch children and their interactions, especially siblings, you will see that this idea of repentance isn't always completely understood, is it? I mean, most of the time, the reason that they say sorry is because they don't want to get in trouble or they don't want to spank in. They're afraid of the consequence not really dealing with the issue at hand, which is they have wronged their brother or their sister. They have been disobedient and have done something that is just wrong, and it's not about the consequence. It's about disobeying. It's about the hurt. Brothers and sisters, when we come before God, this call to repentance, it's a call to recognize before God that we, we have sinned against him that we have offended his holiness and this is serious be miserable it is to recognize that we are wretched to to come before God and to understand to to see just a glimpse of our unworthiness like Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6 he comes before God and he says woe is me I'm a man of unclean lips I live among a people of unclean lips it was recognition of his sin before all sovereign God. Be miserable, he says. Be miserable and mourn. And this idea of mourn- mourning, it is grieving over our sin. It's an internal position of the heart where we would grieve about the sin in our life and, and the, the way that we have offended God's holiness. And then he says, weep. Don't just... Be wretched or be miserable. Don't just mourn, but also weep. And it is the audible crying. It is the the vocal shedding of, of tears and wailing, almost like at a funeral. It is realizing our sin before God. My prayer is that personally, I come to that place often of realizing my sin before God, that I would walk often Daily, knowing that my sin, that it's only by the grace of God that we can come into His presence, not not that we would live defeated uh, lives that are, lack joy. That's that's not the point of what James is saying. The point of what James is saying is not that we would be in a perpetual state of being miserable and having a miserable life, but it is to recognize that our sin before Holy God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and Sustainer and Sovereign Savior, is wretched. It's wicked. And because of that realization, what happens is it humbles me. It humbles you. We see ourselves as not deserving to be in God's presence, but we see ourselves as not deserving to be in God's presence. We see ourselves as unworthy, undeserving, and it, it magnifies God's grace in our life. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. The laughter being turned to mourning, it is associated really with a a fool who would mock God and not recognize his or her sin before God. Let that laughter, the thing which we ought to mourn about, we shouldn't be laughing about. We should be mourning over our sin as we come before God. And as we come before Him, let that laughter be turned into gloom or to sadness and the joy to gloom. And then we have a tremendous promise from God. Submission to God calls us to humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves before God, it is he who will exalt you. Verse 6, we jump back to verse 6. It says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is gracious to those who humble themselves and humbling ourselves. I remind you, it's, it's, it's an action. Humility is an action for the believer. It's one where we actively submit ourselves, where we actively resist the devil and he flees. We actively draw near to God and he draws near near to us. We actively weep and mourn and are miserable over our sin, seeking God, and God grants greater grace to the one who experiences true repentance. God grants a greater grace as we humble ourselves before him. He says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. The challenge for the believer is to come before God, living our daily lives before God in a way where we are, we are submitting to him and part of submitting to him is resisting the devil and drawing near to God at two sides of, of the same coin. As we resist the temptations of Satan, we draw near to God, for it's in drawing near to God that we're able to be strengthened and empowered to resist the temptations of Satan. And as we come before the Lord Jesus Christ, actively submitting ourselves to God, we are humbled. And we're not exalting ourselves. It is God who one day will exalt all those who have humbled themselves before him. You know, humility is not a popular topic today either. Repentance isn't popular. Sin isn't popular. Humility isn't popular. When is the last time that you heard of a business, uh, a corporate uh, conference, business conference offered on humility? Humility. Right? It's not about humility, it's about assertiveness, right? It's about r- really putting yourself out there, making the first impression, but understand in the kingdom of God, God wants to see his people as humble servants, not as prideful children, but as humble children And the call for the believer is to live a life of humility, submitting ourselves. The very nature of the word submit calls us to be humble people. And so submission to God calls us to take action, to walk in purity, to to come before God in repentance and to humble ourselves. And then lastly this morning, I, I want us to see in verses 11 and 12, the application, really, of submission and humility before God and toward others. The application, applying submission and humility before God and toward others. For it all leads up here. He says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. This To speak against it is to slander to speak evil against someone. And James moves from the command of submitting to God to this practical application of, of the life submitted to Christ. And it's a, a practical fleshing out of really the, the, clean, the, the, the cleanliness of one's life and the purity of one's heart. And it deals with how we approach others in our life toward others. So he says, don't slander Don't speak evil of one another. Why? Well, because slander destroys the community. And if we are truly a people who are walking in humility and submitted to God, we are not going to slander one another. The reason is because it's not of God. Slander and disunity is not of God. It's not to be about the people of God. In fact, he says, Do not speak against one another, brethren indicating we're we're in the same family. We don't slander our family members. We don't slander the body of Christ. And it goes against the royal law that he speaks about back in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You see, the body of Christ, it revolves around loving one another loving my neighbor as I love myself and to violate the royal law goes much deeper really than my speech doesn't it it goes much deeper than my speech that is to slander a brother to slander a sister it reveals my heart it reveals the depth of of who I am deep down it it reveals that in my heart I'm not truly a a humble servant of Christ but that I myself have exalted me above others. It, it shows a lack of true humility in my life. What's happening in my heart and your heart when we speak evil against a brother or against a sister? He says, don't speak against one another. Don't slander one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks against the law and judges the law. You ever think about this? The same Holy Spirit that dwells in you dwells in me. God's presence in our lives. And when we slander or speak evil against a brother or against a sister, are we not speaking against God himself? Are we not speaking against the very presence of God in their life? Are we not offending God himself? Is it not to slander God when we speak of one of his children When I mar a brother or sister, I'm speaking against the body of Christ. And so he's talking about here speech that either intentionally or unintentionally runs down another. And it's really opposite of anything of the law of love. Even if we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, right? It it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't keep a record of wrong. Now, the issue happening in the midst of this church is that they were slandering one another. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. It breeds disunity. It tears apart the body of Christ. And he tells us that it. It sets one as a judge of the law. He says, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And what James means here is that failure to do the law implicitly denies the law's authority and it contradicts a person's faith. In other words, if I say that I love God, yet I hate my brother, then the love of God is not in me. Right? Church, if we say we love God, yet we hate one another, The love of God then is not in us, but the love of God will be manifested among God's people when we serve one another, not when we slander one another. So failure to do the law, he says here in verse 11, do not speak against one another. For he who speaks against the law and judges the law, or judges the law, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is Only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. And he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? I just want to make a clarifying statement here that James is not speaking. Against discerning and judging when sin is in the body. He's not speaking uh, against maybe what happened in the church of Corinth and 1 Corinthians where there was uh, sin, gross, immoral sin happening in the midst of the body and they just tolerated. That's not what he's talking about. James is speaking about a critical spirit. He's speaking about judgmentalism that would, uh, that would happen from one believer to another that would judge a person's motives or that would judge a person's character, that would tear down somebody And really what he says here is that when we judge in this way, when we place ourselves in this position and slander another, or speak evil against another, that we usurp the authority of God and that we place ourselves as judges over that person. Those who judge their neighbor are placing themselves in the position of God. And this judgmentalism, this critical spirit is actually what usurps the authority of God. You know, speculation is a close cousin to judgmentalism. There's many times when I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen as well, a person has a few facts about a specific detail, and then they begin to fill in the blanks in their mind. And before long, this speculation has led to judgmentalism, where a person has built a case against another in their own mind. Do you know what I'm talking about? This happens in our life. And church, we must be careful not to let this happen. We must be careful to guard against speaking evil of another. He says there's only one lawgiver and judge. That's God himself. He is able to save. That is from hell, from death, from condemnation. He is able to destroy. That is eternally condemn someone to hell Matthew 10:28 Jesus says, "Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell." And so he asks us this question, "Who are you to judge your neighbor? What right do you have to eternally condemn or accept someone?" And the simple answer to that church is none. As believers, James is exhorting us, as a church, James is exhorting us to actively submit ourselves to God. Draw near to Him. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come before God. Walk in purity. Repent. Humble ourselves before Him. And as we do, we'll guard our mouth, guard our lips, guard our thoughts. We'll be a people of unity. Be a church who walks with the Lord. And so the challenge laid before us this morning is simple. Believer, are you actively submitting your life to God? Are you actively resisting Satan? Are you actively drawing near to God? Are you seeking to walk in purity? Are you repentant over your sin? When was the last time, it's a hard question, when was the last time that you wept over your sin? When was the last time that I weeped over my sin? When was the last time that we were just alone before God in his presence and said, God, show me. Just give me a glimpse of my sin before you. Keep me humble. You know, the amazing thing is when we're walking in humility and we recognize our own sin. We're not so worried about the faults of others. You know. We're more concerned with making sure that our lives are in line with Him and that we're living for His glory. I want to challenge you this morning, believer, as you respond to God's Word today, to check your heart, ask the Lord to give you the grace to be humble, give you the grace to understand, to lift you up, that He would exalt you, that you would not exalt yourself, but that He would exalt you. I'm going to close us in prayer this morning. and Maybe there's a specific sin in your life that, that is just eating away at you. And you need to repent of that sin before the Lord this morning. I want you to know that you can come and just kneel down on these steps and you can pray before the Lord and repent. Cry out to God. Maybe there's someone that God has laid on your heart this morning that you just need to cry out to God on their behalf. I want to challenge you this morning to deal with the Lord and let the Lord deal with you in your heart. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us. Lord, that we wouldn't be so devastated by our sin that we would not be able to recover, but Lord, that you would show us before you, show us our, our need for you. Lord, let us come before you in repentant hearts, weeping over our sin, mourning, understanding that we truly don't deserve to be in your presence, but you are so gracious. Thank you, Lord, that you extend your grace and your mercy to us. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would strengthen us to respond to you, to respond to your word, that you would strengthen us, Lord, to walk according to your ways, to walk in your wisdom. And Father, that we would give you all the praise and the honor and glory for what you're doing and continuing to do in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.